So here we are in week two of our Pioneer Series, and tonight I'm excited to talk about Church in the Wild. Everybody look at the person next to you and say, Church in the Wild. There's a story of this kid named CJ, and CJ, it was the summer between his junior and senior year, and there was just one thing on CJ's mind. It wasn't a job, it wasn't a girl, it was a car, right? How many of you guys, that's on your mind? You're like, I need and want a car right now. All right. He was a car and you guys, you guys know how this works. You guys know how this works when you're in seventh grade. Like, you know, exactly already the kind of car that you want, like a Ferrari or a Maserati, you know, like an Escalade, something like that. But by the time you hit high school, reality kind of sets in and you settle for any car as long as it has wheels and moves, right? Like I've seen some of you guys driving your mom's minivan. Yeah. So CJ had been talking to his dad for a long time. He'd been talking to him for a while about getting a car. Summer rolled around and his dad, he, he went to his dad and he said, Dad, I want to have a car. So they talked about it and dad said, okay, son, here's what we're going to do. Before I get you to car, a car, I want you to read this book. And he handed his son a book. And he said, I want you to read this book. So CJ's dad gave him a book, and it wasn't a real fancy book. It wasn't even a really big, thick book, but it was an easy read, probably a couple of days at most. Well, a couple of weeks go by, and CJ comes to his dad, and he says, Dad, uh, can we talk about the car? Dad, I, I really would like a car. And his dad, did you read the book? Oh, man, it's, it's on my nightstand. Like, I, I was going to get to it. I haven't done it yet. And dad says, well, go read the book. Then we'll talk about getting the car. And a couple more weeks go by, and like we're getting further and further into the summer, and CJ asks again, hey, Dad, can we talk about this car situation? And Dad says, um, did you read the book? And, oh, man, I opened it. It's got pages, pages, letters, paragraphs. You read the top to bottom, left to right. And Dad's like, go read the book, and we'll talk about the car. Finally, about the whole summer goes by, and about a week before school's about to start, CJ goes back to his dad, and he says, Dad, I've been waiting all summer. Dad, can we talk about getting a car now? And his dad says, you haven't even read the book, have you? You haven't read the book. And, and his dad says, go get the book. And um, CJ goes and gets the book and brings it back to his dad. And his dad opens the book up, and he turns it to the second to the last page. And it says this. Um, he, he tells CJ, he says, read this paragraph right here out loud. And uh, what was there was something that CJ's dad had written, and it said this. It said, your mother and I have bought you a car. I have the keys in my pocket. It's at the neighbor's house in their garage. All you have to do is ask me for the keys. Thank you for doing what I asked you to do and read this book. Could you imagine the feeling that CJ felt at that moment? Could you imagine that? Like when he realized he had wasted an entire summer begging and waiting for a car, if he had just simply done what his father had asked him to do, his summer would have been a blessed, blessed with late night Taco Bell runs, like fourth meal, um, TPing somebody's house, many other like high school driving shenanigans. Like, but there's a reality here. And the reality is if we're not careful, we could waste, waste weeks and months and years. Why? Because like CJ we simply don't do what our Father asks us to do. Um, so what, was, what has our Father asked us to do at this current point in our lives? That's kind of the topic of our discussion tonight. And, and 
can I do this um, before we get started? I want to pray. And um, um, if you guys would just pray with me. Jesus, thank you for gathering our family made of friends here tonight. And we, we come to you with expectant hearts. We come to you not only believing, but expecting to have an encounter with you, Jesus. And when it's all said and done, God, would we commit to pursuing the kind of lives that no church has ever seen before? And, and uh, God, I just pray that you would just burden our hearts for the lost. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, everybody said? All right, let me start with asking you this question. And this is probably a question you've never wondered in your life before. How do you tame an elephant? Anybody ever wondered that? Okay, neither have I. I haven't either. But I've heard this long ago. Recently, I heard a pastor share this story about how you tame an elephant. And um, it's, it's quite interesting. So, you see, the way it's done is that when an elephant is just a baby, the trainer will, will tie the leg of the elephant. The, it'll tie it up to a huge immovable object like a tree. And so, so this tree is so large that no matter how hard the baby elephant pulls, it cannot break free. And over time, this develops to what is known as learned helplessness. And, and it's, it's what's developed. And so you see, after trying so hard and so long to break the hold, only to be, to be just destroyed over and over again, it eventually believes that no matter what it does, it cannot escape when something's tied around its ankle. So ultimately, a fully grown adult elephant weighing several tons as an adult, it can be tied up to basically a twig and it won't escape. It won't even try because it's tied up to something. And you know what? If, if you were to study, honestly, the current state of the church in America, I think you might conclude that it's a lot like an elephant tied to a twig. It has all the power in the world to break free, to leave a mark on its surroundings. But instead, it's fallen into a state of learned helplessness. Um, let me share with you guys. I don't even know if this matters to you, not you guys, but it's a huge deal to me. Um, a, a few stats that point to this, that, that illustrate this. Nearly 6,000, everybody say 6,000. 6,000 churches close, close their doors every year in the United States. Nearly 6,000 churches, they quit, they give up, and they close their doors. Um, 85% of churches, that's pretty high percentage, in the United States have either plateaued or they're declining. On the positive side of things, there are 800 churches being planted every single year in the United States. But you would actually need 10,000 churches planted every year to keep up with the population increase. It almost seems like the church has been tamed. It almost seems like we've been tamed, and, and, and I don't want that for Emerge. I don't want that for our church. I don't want that for us. I want to see a church that, that and not tied to a twig in a state of helplessness. But when I look at our church, I want to see a church in the wild. And that's what we're talking about, a church in life. I want to see a church that has broken free and is leaving its mark on the surroundings. However, we can't become complacent with where we're at. If we do, we'll end up like one of those churches that has to close its doors. And how does a church become tamed, so to speak? Well, if you do a little research and you find out the answer, it's, it's pretty simple. And here it is. 
When churches make it acceptable for people to do nothing and they call themselves Christ followers, that's when they begin to die. When we make it okay for us as Christ followers to do nothing at all and we're okay with that, that's when the church will begin to die. You see, God does not desire a church in the zoo where everything is kept nice and caged and clean and good and tamed by humans. God wants a church in the wild. So what is a church in the wild? A church in the wild, is it's a different way of doing church. It's a different way of reaching out to others. First thing is this. It's a church that primarily isn't about you. Everybody say this. It's not about me. You could say it louder. It's not about me. Because that's what it is. A church in the wild, it's primarily not about you. And and second thing is, it's a church that believes there's opportunity in the margins of society. And the third thing is this. And most of all, it's a church that cares more about its calling than about its personal comfort. It cares more about its calling than about its personal comfort. You see, a church in the wild, um, I think this, this type of church... It is modeled throughout scripture. And, and today I want to share three different things, three different characteristics of a church in the wild. And so I want to zero in tonight on the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, it's found in Luke chapter 10. If you brought your Bible, um, 10 verse 30, that's where we're going to start. And we're going to kind of examine this and talk about it and break it down a little bit. And I want to focus tonight on three different actions that the Samaritan did that built the foundation of the church in the wild. So let's begin. It goes like this. Luke 10, verse 30, it says, And Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and and when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too a Levite. When he came to the place, he saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, He came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. I want to focus tonight on three actions found in verses 33 and 34 because they're, they're where we obtain these three characteristics of a church in the wild. The first thing is this. A church in the wild chooses to see things that other people ignore. A church in the wild sees things that others ignore. The Bible says the Samaritan saw the man. He saw the man who was beaten and left for dead. But hold on. The Bible also said that the priest and Levite saw the man too. So what was so different about when the Samaritan saw versus when the priest and the Levite saw? Um, let me kind of explain it like this. Um, <clears throat> not long ago, I lost my phone. You guys know that feeling when you lose your lifeline. Like your heart starts to beat fast and you're like, where did I put that thing? And so here I was here at the church and I was doing some things around the church, cleaning and moving some things and, and all of the busyness. I finally got back to my office and I realized that something was missing. Like what, what, what's, what is it? Um, I just, what, my phone, 
my phone was missing. And, and like, I don't know about you guys, but when it comes to my phone, I'm like Gollum from Lord of the Rings. It's like, my precious, where's my phone? You know what I'm saying? Like, you guys probably, you guys know what I'm talking about. You guys, my pre- where's my phone? And you must have my phone. And so, <laughs> yes, that's what I look, I'm like, <laughs> you know. And so, needless to say, like, I had lost my phone and I was freaking out. I looked through my pockets, like, I, I was looked under my desk, under my seat. I went back to the bathroom because that's, I wasn't playing on my phone in there, but I was, I went to the coffee shop. Um, I, I was frantic. I was running around looking for my phone all over the place. Then I, I felt something underneath my arm. What's that? My, my phone was underneath my armpit the whole time. It was like here, and I was running around going, where is this thing? And trying to figure out where my phone, and it was underneath my arm the whole time. I went, I walked around the church, and it was right underneath my arm. And here's the deal. We are relentless in pursuing things that we deem valuable. The things that we seem valuable, we're relentless in pursuing them. So why did the Samaritan see the man the others had ignored? Because he deemed that he had value. He's, he, he figured out that this man has value. He's valuable. And as Christians, I think we'd all agree that people are valuable. Do you agree? Do you agree? People are valuable. And we understand that everyone, we know this, that everyone was created in the image of God. But why is it that if we'd all agree that people are valuable, that we don't act like it? If we think, if we would all agree in this room... People are valuable. Why don't we act like it? Do you treat people like they have value? Do you see a new person at church and act like they don't exist? Because to be honest, I see that all the time from you guys. Do you look at a homeless person in the eye or do you just walk right past them with their head down like they don't exist? Do you see someone hurting and someone in need? And don't even notice and treat them like they don't even exist. One of the most convicting things for me, even me, about preparing this sermon tonight was being confronted by the, by the fact that I missed the boat on this too. I'm just as guilty as everyone else. I often don't treat people with the value they deserve. But what if? What if we really deemed people valuable? What might that look like? What would that look like? And there's this guy, you probably heard of him, his name's Abraham Lincoln. He once said this, he said, whatever you are, be a good one. Whatever it is you are, be a good one. For some of us, it's time we start being good Christians. It's time we start being good followers of Jesus. Um, a, A church in the wild chooses to see people that others ignore. And why? Because they're valuable. The second thing is this, a church in the wild recognizes that God has put the power in his people. He's put the power in his people. And Jesus said that the Samaritan went to the man. Why did he go? Because he understood understood that he had the power to change this man's situation. What if we're honest with ourselves? Often we fail to recognize that we have the power. We fail to recognize that we have the power to change someone's situations. We forget that God has given his power to us. He's put his power 
inside of us, inside of people. And part of my role as pastor is to help you unleash the power that God has given you. One of the ways we do this in, in student ministries is that we empower our adult leaders to, to lead and, and to lead life groups and to connect with you guys and to hang out with you guys. But I, I think as we think about this, there's no way that I personally can fully um, connect with every single student in this room. There's no way I can do that. That's why we empower our leaders to be youth pastors to you guys. So I, I may be the guy on the stage in the front talking to you guys, but I'm not your only leader. I'm not your only youth pastors. We empower our leaders to lead. In the same way, we can empower you to be the pastors to the people in your community, to the people in your school, to the people around you. This is, will not happen until we recognize that God has given you all the power that you need to make an impact. It, it's kind of like this. Um, I've gotten toys for my kids that were battery powered. And um, so I get to the checkout and I realized that I didn't have batteries. You guys ever done that? You went and bought something that needed batteries and you get there and you don't have batteries. So I told the, the checker, the checker router person that I needed to go grab some batteries. And the, the guy was like, well, hold on just a minute. And so like he hit the button on top of the toy and like immediately like spring to life. And he says, batteries are included. Guess what? When you meet Jesus, he tells you the same thing. The batteries are included. In other words, you have the power for all that you need. You have the power for all that you need. And this power comes in the form of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and, but what kind of power are we talking about? I want you guys to hear this. And I want you to, to, to know this, to write this down. I want you to know that there's power in each and every one of you. If you're a follower of Christ in Acts 1.8. It says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Romans 8, 11, it says, and the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living where? In you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. And then this one, John 14, 12, it says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I've done. In even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. That's Jesus talking right there. That's his words. That's him telling you, you guys will do greater works than Jesus did. You can do greater works, because he gave you his spirit. He gave you his power. God has put the power in his people. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. Is inside of each and every one of us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And, and Jesus himself says that you will do greater things than even he ever did. God has put the power in his people. But also recognize this. Sometimes the most powerful thing that you could ever do, it's not healing the blind. It, it's not making loaves and fishes multiply or even raising someone from the dead. Sometimes, just like the Samaritan, the most powerful thing you can do is get off of your donkey like the Samaritan did and do something. And do something and put some actions to your words. You see, God isn't looking for the most qualified people. He's simply looking for the people who are available, people who are willing. And as a church, we need to recognize that God has put the power in us, his people, 
and he wants us to use it. A church in the wild recognizes that God has put the power in his people. And so in doing, uh, and so in doing that, it transforms the lives of others for the glory of God. This leads us to the last thing, the very last thing. the last thing I'm going to talk about. A church in the wild understands that it must get its hands dirty. We must get our hands dirty. We must do the work of the Lord. So what happened is the Samaritan, he saw. He saw something that these two other guys ignored. He went. He recognized that he had the power to do something. And the third thing was he took pity. He took pity. And a better translation is this. Uh, A different translation said he had compassion for the man. Having compassion means that we're able to put ourselves in the other person's shoes or, and we could feel their pain. And you see, it's kind of a compassion that's the catalyst that sets everything in motion. It's that compassion. It's that genuine care and love for people that sets things in motion. The casualty of the church in the wild is personal comfort. A casualty of church in the wild is personal comfort. But if church isn't about you... You shouldn't be comfortable anyways. You shouldn't be comfortable anyways. If you're here, not just for you, to reach out and to love others, you shouldn't be comfortable anyways. People will walk through these doors that you won't recognize. People will show up in this room that you won't know. Someone may show up and they may take your seat. And in that moment, I want you to realize, I want you to think, and I want you to know this. Oh, yeah. That's why God has our church right here. That's why he has us placed right here so we can reach the unreachable, so we can love the unloved. There is no one in this culture that does not deserve to hear the love of Jesus. Our problem is that we've made it all about us. We've made it all. I don't feel like it. I don't want to. I don't want to be here. We've made it all about us. But if we would show up with the heart of others in mind, Imagine what we could do. What, what, can you, what can you do to remind you that it's not about you? What can we do to remind you that it's not about you, that it's all about him and it's all about them? See, church in the wild, what, what would happen if we truly acted like Jesus when we say, when we, say we, we acted like the Jesus that we say we act like? And we openly loved and we openly accepted Anyone and everyone that walked in our doors. What would happen? I can tell you what would happen. If we truly loved people, if we truly accepted people when they walked in our doors, we'd have to have multiple emerged services. We'd have to open the door a couple times. We'd have to have a Wednesday night and a Thursday night service. We wouldn't be able to fit everyone in this room. What if we went outside these doors and brought people in and not just waited for people to show up? If you have a car with an empty seat in it, then you have a mission field. Church in the wild, get people here. What if we would give up our comfort so some people could get to heaven? So some people could meet Jesus. Here's the deal. Your home is your comfortable place. And it's all about you at your home. But this place here, I want you to make it uncomfortable. We want to make it uncomfortable and remind you that it's not about you. It's, it's, this isn't someone else's job it's yours and it's my job i'll never forget a couple summers ago our first time we went to denver for our missions trip and we're going back there again this summer and i'm so excited about it isaac said this 
and he's the missionary that we're going to help. He said, I believe that if we go after these people, the people that no one wants, then God will bring us people that everyone wants. And before you know it, the building will be too small to contain what God's doing. Are you ready to be church in the wild? Are you ready to be a church that reaches outside these walls, that, that not even reaches outside these walls, but inside these walls? You accept people. You love people. You welcome them. I, I sat here Sunday morning, and we had new people in this room, and I watched our students walk right by and not say a word. I'll go even as far as this. I sat and I watched students who have been here for a long time walk right by, and no one said hi to them. I'm sorry. That breaks my heart. I'm going to try to do better. I'm going to ask that you guys try to do better. If we're really the hands and feet of Jesus, shouldn't we care? Shouldn't we love? Shouldn't we reach out? I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you tonight, are, are you ready to pioneer? Are you ready to be a church in the wild? Are you ready to make this not about you? I'm going to pray and close in these last few moments. After I pray, what I want you guys to do is I just want you to, to find a place in this room all by yourself. Don't be next to anyone. Don't be by anyone. I want you to get all by yourself. Shut everyone else out. I want you to find a place by yourself. And I want you to ask, I want you to beg God to give you a heart to pioneer, to be a church in the wild. And here's, here's the deal. Don't be surprised if that makes you uncomfortable. It starts today. There's no time to waste. And so here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to end tonight. Just really saying, if, if you need special prayer about anything at all, catch one of our leaders. We want to pray with you. But other than that, here's how we're going to end tonight. And, and we're going to ask God to break our hearts for the things that breaks his. His most valuable thing he has is people. It's you. It's the people not here. It's the people on the streets. It's the people that are far from Jesus. He loves them just as much as he loves you. God, break our hearts for the things that break yours. Everybody close your head. Close your eyes, bow your head. Jesus, we stand in awe of who you are. We thank you for loving people like us, even when we don't deserve to be loved. Sinners just like us. God, I pray that the people who feel unwanted and unloved would run into people like us. Pioneers. And, I, and I, that we would be ready to tell them about you, Jesus. Make us uncomfortable, Lord. Give us a heart for the lost. Help us pioneer. Help us to be a church in the wild. We love you, God. And if we say we love you from this moment on, we're going to act like it. We're going to love the people that you love. Whether they look like we think we should look, they should look like or where they act like the wrong ways, God, we're going to love them the way that you love them. God, I pray that we will be a church in the wild. We will be a church that is not only the church in these doors, but we'll be a church that's a church outside of these doors. We'll be the people that you have called us to be, Lord. God, put that on our hearts so heavy tonight. Lord, I'm tired of seeing people walk in this room and leave and never come back. 
because they weren't loved. They weren't accepted. Nobody spent time. Nobody even cared. God, I pray that we would be a people that when people walk into our room, that when people get around us, that they're just surrounded with love and acceptance and excitement. We love you, Jesus. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. In Jesus' name, amen.